Good to see you all. Uh, yesterday in Hopkinton was, uh, this, well, Hopkins in the middle of celebrating 300 years. And uh, yesterday on the common, we were doing face painting. Uh, and uh, it was great to be there with a fairly significant number of people from Hopkinton uh, showing up and turning out. I mean, the place was absolutely uh, packed. And this whole weekend is a, a festival. Uh, and there's, you know, just surprising face painters here. We've got Jen and uh, Adriana. Where are you, Adriana? You're like yard and youth, all right, uh, somewhere. Uh, we, you know, we just got a lot of talented uh, face painters and people that just love uh, making balloon animals and just basically loving on the town. Uh, it culminated with the fireworks that went on for like an hour. I mean, it was like for a small town, this was quite, quite something, with like the orchestra of the high school in the background. And, and, uh, and then after that, like big finale, uh, then they had like fireworks going on in the background for about... I don't know, about like half an hour while some other bands were playing. And, and then the great big end finale, it was quite something. All that is to say that if you're planning to go through Hopkinton today, forget it. The road's all closed. Uh, uh, those of you that are here, you can't go back home until uh, midnight. Uh, <laughs> and if you didn't get here early for church, you're stuck in your house until midnight. I don't know how you're going to get home, folks. But uh, if you don't live in Hopkinton, don't go through Hopkinton. There's parades and all sorts of things. Uh, happening uh, in town, and the roads are closed. So uh, go to restaurants somewhere else. I, I want to announce uh, a, a major service change that we're going to make from next week. And, and that is we're going to be uh, doing church at the same time, uh, still doing just one service, but we're going to shift the order of service around. We're going to preach first and do worship second. Now, the reason uh, we want to make this shift is when I was on vacation, uh, I got to experience, surprisingly, uh, this format at the Ithaca Vineyard in upstate New York when I was visiting uh, with my daughter. And uh, I was particularly impressed uh, how it felt because now I'm just sitting in the, you know, in the pews like you guys. And uh, what I experienced was this. Uh, you hear the sermon, and it kind of works with your intellect. And then you hear, then you participate in worship, and it starts working in your heart. And uh, the flow from uh, connecting with the Lord intellectually through the Word of God, and then letting that word like permeate, and, and it seems like even though the songs may have had a different set of words going up, God was working in me through what was being said, and the worship seemed to somehow blend. And then it was a real natural uh, flow into saying, I want to respond to Jesus. You know, I want to come up for prayer, or, or, or I want to respond in some way. So really to sort of um, shift our flow where we can highlight worship a little more and have a little less disruption in our, in our worship flow. But what this means to you folks is this. If you show up when you normally show up, you're going to be walking halfway into my sermon. I mean, so church really starts for you at 10 of 10. I mean, like if you plan to be at 10 of 10, maybe you'll get here at 10. But if you are planning to like drive in at 10 and, you know, park your car and have a conversation in the lobby and get something to eat and then go to the bathroom and, and then make your way in here, you're like, you know, it'll be over. So, I mean, that's all I'm, I'm telling you. But uh, you're welcome. And, 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 you know, I know that, like, all of you guys are here. You said, 
Rob, you just didn't make the announcement real clear. I mean, I wish your communications could be better. I mean, can you please just send me a text uh, with all these details? Uh, or, or can you send me an email? Or, or, or can we just meet together and chat about this? I, I'm doing the best I can. I'm trying to tell you guys. But like you here, and you notice the chair next to you is empty. So, you know, uh, next week just have some grace when folks have never heard about the change as much as we try and communicate it. Well, uh, we are starting a new sermon series uh, today called Turning Points, and uh, the backdrop for today's uh, sermon really is a, a biblical story of biblical proportions. I mean, like everybody knows the story of Paul's conversion, uh, which is what I want to talk about. But it's not only a biblical story which is very well known, it's also an historical event and an account which is also very well known. Any historian uh, you know, doing work in that era would be more than aware of the, the Apostle Paul, who used to be called Saul, and I'm going to use these names interchangeably because I just kind of forget, but I should be saying Saul, 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 but I'm probably going to say Paul, Paul, Paul. It's one and the same person. Uh, he had this experience of uh, it, radical encounter with God, and he ended up changing his name from Saul to Paul. So... Bear with me as I perhaps uh, mess those up. But uh, the, the thing that's so significant uh, that applies to all of us is these life events which are like a 180 degree change. Excuse me. For many of us, uh, you know, circumstances are outside of our control. And we really desire God to do something and to do like a 180 degree uh, change in our lives. It might be something... Like if you've got back problems and, you, you, you know, you've been trying to get prayer for healing and you've had prayer for healing and you've gone to the doctor and the doctor basically says, look, I, I don't know what else to do for you. Just take pain meds. And you're like, I need like change. You've got a pinched nerve in your neck and you're just like in pain or, you know, you've got some undiagnosed a medical condition and the doctors are just like, well, I don't really know what to do. I mean, you're looking for and desiring and praying for like a 180 degree uh, a shift. And there's a sense that uh, we have a hope in God that maybe he'll do that. I mean, it's not a guarantee, but there's a, a sense that maybe he will do it because God does these sort of things. Uh, it might not just be a physical thing. It might be a relationship. It's like the more you try to fix it, the more you kind of mess it up. And, and it, really, your prayer amounts to, God, I just, just help me. I mean, just help my circumstance. I, 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 I need you to intervene. I need you to turn the circumstance around completely uh, in a way that, uh, that I can't. You know, for some of you uh, old folks like me, uh, you'll remember the day when public smoking was like sort of prevalent. I mean, I used to got no clue what I'm about to talk about. But you'd come across these characters that were like, smoked like a chimney. And then somehow, other, whatever happened, they don't smoke anymore. And then the most surprising thing would happen is they just hated it when there was any smoke around. I mean, they became like militant. You know, there's like a non-smoker like me all my life. I'm like, wow, you went like from loving smoking, smoke everywhere. You couldn't go in your house without smoke. Your car stank of smoke. Your clothes stank of smoke. Now all of a sudden you don't smoke. And you don't have any time for anybody that smokes. I mean, you're just like, it's like 180, just a 180 degree turn. It's like, what happened to you? I mean, actually, I wish, you know, we thought that was like a big issue nowadays, smoking. I mean, I, I wish there was some sort of equivalent with the uh, opiate addiction that 
hitting our towns right now. You know, heroin is like going crazy and opiate addiction is going crazy right now in the most surprising segment of a population, right? Women in their like mid midlife, white, uh, middle class and affluent are the biggest increase, the biggest surprising, you know, section that's increasing in opiate addiction and abuse. I, I, but again, you know, like you, you get somebody that's stuck in opiate addiction, you say, God, I, I, 180 degree turn, I, I need it, I'm desperate. It's like, you know, how can I get God's help on this? Or is there any help on this? And, you know, I think our story today uh, gives us some hope in that, that uh, Yes, God is actually interested in changing us and changing our circumstances. And uh, not only did it happen then, but there's hope that it can happen today. Uh, it's a funny mixture because we can't like demand it from God, uh, but we can have hope that God will do it and God does do it. And then there's some part sometimes that we have to play, you know, like we have to do a whole bunch. And other times we do absolutely nothing and God does everything. But this story, this account of uh, the Apostle Paul's conversion uh, is really just a, a remarkable uh, turnaround um, that I want to look at. Uh, you know, think of your own life. Did you have a remarkable turnaround in your conversion to Christ? Uh, my life it was. I mean, I just had a remarkable turnaround uh, and, you know, God spoke dramatically into my life. I'm probably the least likely person to be standing up here and, and, and preaching today. Uh, you know, that's just a, a reality. Um, and yet, uh, when you have had God, like, do something personal in your life, like rattle your cage, uh, it, it has a long-lasting uh, transformation. You know, I am so unlikely to be your pastor today and be preaching today. I used to run a, a little life group, and all my life group m members agreed that I would be a terrible pastor and that I'd be the, the least likely candidate to be doing what I'm doing. Everybody agreed on that. I mean, even I agreed on that. I was like, I'm just agreeing with what they agreed. This wasn't like any big revelation. The only difference was God had a different plan. And it wasn't my plan. Uh, I, this wasn't my idea. But there's something awesome that when we can hear God's voice, hear what his plan is for us, and obey that, it, it really turns out awesome. I mean, I'm really glad that I'm doing what I'm doing now. I, I really am. I feel privileged to do it. Uh, I, I don't say it's the easiest job in the world. It, it's not. But I, I'm really thankful that you know, I don't have that much smarts, but enough smarts to just obey God in this one. And, you know, later on, now all those same people in the life group, when I meet them, I say, wow, I, I, it's miraculous what God's done in you. Uh, so, uh, all that is said, what's he doing in you? I mean, are you giving God a chance or is he doing something? Now, uh, you know, my kids got really upset when I talk like this because they'd say, Dad, you know, we just came to church every day. We didn't have any of these dramatic conversions. You know, we go to these youth conferences, and then they'd have these speakers come up, and they were drug addicts, and they were, like, extreme. And, and now they're coming up, they're talking about Jesus, and how their life's just been transformed. And, and you know, my, my kids said, I feel chipped. I mean, you know, all we do is just come to church all the time. There's nothing dramatic. But each of my kids also had to admit that they had to make their own decision for Christ at some point. I mean, 
you know, for my kids, I made decisions for Christ when they were three, and then when they were five, and then when they were seven, and then 11. And, you know, they kept making a decision for Christ the more they kind of understood more about Christ. But, you know, once we lost control of them, they could make their own decision whether they wanted to come to church or not, and whether the church was really going to be awesome for them or not. And they had to choose, and they did. I'm very thankful for that. But even if your experience is not dramatic, you still need to have some sort of encounter with the living God. God needs to be real and alive and personal uh, to you for this to make sense. Even as a teenager, you know, coming to church, as you guys do, and I'm certainly thrilled to have the teens with us and to be here. Uh, what I want you to get out of this message is something uh, pretty simple, uh, is that God can change anybody. And he can change you. He can change your friends. He can change your spouse. He can change your kids. And the verse that sort of uh, hang on my hat on on this one is Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 19, 26, where Jesus basically says, look, in the natural, humanly speaking, uh, these things are just impossible. Now, when you're at that place, it's just like this is just impossible. It's really helpful to have faith in a God which says anything is possible. Because if you don't have that faith, or if you don't have that relationship with God, then there is no like hope. It's like, okay, the, you know, the natural is the natural, and that's all there is, and there's no hope for me. But when we have a God which says, you know, anything's possible for me, that gives us a lot of hope. It really does. So uh, let me just pray, uh, Lord Jesus, I, I just ask for your Holy Spirit, uh, firstly, to uh, help me with my preaching. Uh, Lord, that uh, you would empower me. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would prepare hearts to hear your word. Uh, Lord, I pray that those that might be uh, trying to uh, discover you or connect with you or, or looking for you to speak to them personally, that you would do that today uh, during my message. Uh, Lord, that you draw those to you that you, you draw. So, Lord, I just uh, lift up this message. I give it to you uh, in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, if you've got a Bible, won't you open it to Acts, uh, Acts chapter 9, or if you're following along on your cell phone, uh, you, your version. Uh, I really don't mind if you follow along with the U version uh, cell phone or electronic version. Uh, I just way prefer a, a written version because you know, I'm old school. And one of the reasons is uh, I want to start with uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 1, but Really, before you can do that, you need to look at Acts chapter 8, uh, verse 1. Uh, and it starts this way. And if you've got a, you know, a hard copy of the old thing, then uh, you can just like scan the page. I don't know about you, but you know, when, I, I, when it comes to trying to memorize Scripture and where things are, somehow visually, I remember where it is on the page. When you're looking for it later, you kind of know where to look for it. You know, when I'm on my, my laptop and I'm doing it online, it's like it's a different place every time. I can never find the thing. It's very frustrating, which is also why I don't like changing Bibles. You know, once the thing's falling apart, it's like, oh, I've got to get a new one. Everything's going to be different. Anyway, all that to say, if I look on the left, it says this in chapter 8. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. Okay, so Stephen's uh, the Christian is being... A stone to death, and there's Paul. He's standing there, and he's agreeing with this, and he's party to Stephen being killed. Now we pick up uh, chapter 9, uh, verse, uh, verse 1, and it says this. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest 
He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Okay, so here is somebody that is extremely radical. I mean, he is doing something which is unprecedented. Uh, the synagogues have never uh, uh, sent out orders before to go and kill people, arrest people. You drag them back to Jerusalem in chains. And Paul's the guy saying, hey, listen, I'll do it. Uh, just give me the authority. Uh, we've got to get rid of this crazy bunch of Christians. Uh, at this point, they were called the way. And, uh, you know, think of it just in, in what's happened. Uh, Jesus has died. He's been resurrected. Uh, there's been a supernatural outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and people are, are following the gospel message. And Paul at this point is like, okay, we've got to kill this cult like right now, quickly, radically, and he's believing that he's doing the will of God. And uh, Paul is somebody that prays to God. And Paul is probably somebody that hears from God. I mean, think of this for a strange notion. Here's Paul. Uh, steeped in Jewish tradition, and no doubt when he prays, he hears from God. I mean, otherwise, you know, you, you kind of quit praying if, you, if it's just a one-way conversation. And Paul is somebody that, like, fasts and seeks God, and he's, he's, he's put all his intellect into trying to understand the Scripture and follow God, and yet he's, like, off track, badly off track, which is the setup for, you know, this... Passage. Anyway, carrying on, verse 3, he was approaching Damascus on his mission. A light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, again, just, you know, there's tradition and then there's facts. Uh, it, we don't hear that Saul is uh, on a donkey or a horse or whatever and got knocked down, but he got knocked down. And uh, he's, in this account, he's knocked down and he falls to the ground. He, there's bright light shining. Uh, there's an audible voice. And Jesus is talking and he says, why are you persecuting me? Now, Paul's response, Saul's response, is very uh, intriguing to me. Who are you, Lord? I mean, you'd think like Saul would be saying, get away from me, Satan. But like somehow in this encounter, he's like, okay, his whole world is now 180. It's like getting turned upside down. But he's got enough smarts to figure out that I think God's in this thing. Uh, who are you, Lord? The voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. I mean, this is just like, this story is such a great story, but it's so loaded, it's kind of hard to just read it. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Wait a minute, he's not persecuting Jesus. He's persecuting Jesus' followers. But Jesus is saying, you're persecuting me. Okay, so Paul, Saul, you are persecuting me. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless. 
For they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. <laughs> the story, you know, here's Saul. He's like a raging bull. I mean, he's just like, you know, charging into Damascus. But how does he actually end up coming into Damascus? Like a lamb, you know, blind, led, just lame. I mean, there's just like so many 180s in this story. The other thing which is like really curious to me in this story is who does God choose? And why does God choose certain people? And why when there's supernatural signs and wonders, doesn't everybody respond the same way? For instance, we hear a lot about Paul going on from this point onwards, and rightfully so. We hear nothing about all these guys that are hanging out with Paul, his, his band of you know, warriors that are with him. They don't seem to become Christians. They don't seem to become followers of Jesus. They experience the same you know, light shining. They experience the audible voice of God. But as far as we know, there's no like account of these guys becoming uh, leaders or staying with the Apostle Paul and following Paul. We just, they just like fall off the pages of Scripture. I mean, it's, it's like nothing happened to them. And I've I got to tell you, folks, as, as many times as I've seen God do absolutely phenomenal, mir miraculous things. For some people, it's a life-changing event. And for others, it's like, oh, what just happened? That, that, that was interesting, but no change whatsoever. Or it's just total dismissal. It's like, I don't know. I can't explain it, but it's not God. It's just, I don't know. So here we have an example where... You know, people are, are being dramatically impacted different, in different ways. Anyway, I, I'm cutting into the story. Verse 9, he remained uh, there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. So the Apostle Paul has this dramatic experience. He, he is blind. He's now being led into Damascus, like really, you know, meekly, quietly, uh, and he's got a process, okay, God, what did you say to me, and what are you doing in me, and what's up, God? Now, uh, to uh, Paul's credit, he leans on some of the upbringing, some of his good uh, religious roots in Judaism, and he decides, okay, I I'm going to pray. I I'm going to ask God, God, what's up with this? And he said, I'm going to fast. He's saying, God, this is like, Bigger than me to figure out. I, I, I don't know what's up for I'm going to pray and I'm going to fast. And so he, he goes back to his instincts. And they're good instincts. And uh, that's what he does. And, you know, I want to make, if you're following along in your bulletin insert, uh, when people have a dramatic conversion or any conversion or any la lifelong uh, impact, changing impact with Christ, it, it takes two things. The first thing, uh, if you're following in your bulletin insert, is an encounter with Jesus. We all need an encounter with Jesus, which is, you know, sometimes it's, it's preceded by me talking about Jesus or somebody talking about Jesus. Uh, but at some point, it's got to be more than just uh, hearing about God or just reading Scripture. It has to be, okay, I'm having an encounter and that word is maybe a little challenging, but you need to experience that Jesus is real and what you're reading in Scripture is backed up by, by Jesus. 
I mean, it might be dramatic and it might be totally non-dramatic. The drama is not the issue. The issue is you need an encounter with the living Jesus. We all do. And it's going to be different for every one of us. There's no like, okay, this is the way it worked for me, so let me get you, make, have it work for you the same way. It doesn't work that way. It's different for all of us. So uh, the first encounter is an encounter with, uh, with, with Jesus. The second encounter is, verse 10 onwards, uh, is an encounter with Jesus' people. Uh, you know, the first time you need to encounter, encounter Jesus directly, but it's very seldom that people can just exist with just you and Jesus. Uh, we hear, I mean, I hear this often. I don't like church. I just like Jesus. I'm just going to read my Bible. It's just me and Jesus. I don't need everybody else. Very seldom does that work. Jesus has designed it that uh, your growth, your life, your experience is going to be dependent on other believers, other Jesus people. It's just the way it is. And here we have it in verse 10. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, now get this for an incredibly clear vision. I don't know about you, but I wish God would give me visions that are like this clear, you know, just like there's no wriggle room. It's like real obvious. I mean, this is, this is real clear. And some of you have had prophetic uh, prophets speak to you which have been really specific and, and, and really clear. Uh, some of you had long for that. Uh, some of you have read scripture and it's been really specific and really clear. Um, but it says this, the Lord speaking, the Lord Jesus speaking to Ananias says, go over to Straight Street. I mean, names the street. Go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. Names the street, names the house. I mean, this is a direct address when you get there, ask for a man named from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him in a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. Okay, you talk about strange stuff. I mean, here's a guy getting a vision of somebody else having a vision. And, you know, it's real clear. But, you know, it's like specifics. But Ananias, I mean, what a guy. I mean, the natural response is the way he responds. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I have heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers uh, in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. I mean, you know, bad news travels real fast. I mean, Paul is like charging down there, and somehow this news is already ahead of him. They're in Damascus. They know he's coming. It's bad news. Uh, and, you know, and a nice, good job. I mean, he's just like, okay, God, you just told me something really clear. I've got some real reservations. This is what they are. And he articulates them really clearly back to the Lord. And the Lord says to him, not a whole lot, by the way. He says a few words to him, and these are the few words. He says, the Lord says, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings 
as well as to people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. Wow, again, just a real clear message. And uh, Ananias now has a, a real dilemma. Like, does he just go ahead and do what he's heard real clearly? And if he's slightly off, it's off with the head. I mean, he knows. It's like a high-risk game. It's not like, I think I heard the Lord right. And then you go, oops, I got it wrong. So, you know, got you in chains. So look how convicted Ananias is. Verse 17. So Ananias went and found Saul. I mean, immediately, not like, okay, let me pray and fast about it and see if it's the Lord's will and call a little meeting and get 20 other people to, you know, weigh in on this and let me tell them about my fears and the risks. And, you know, nope, he just, this is, it's, it's obvious. I mean, just, I need to obey God. And he does immediately. And he goes down and, you know, while Paul is, Saul is still praying, I mean, he's heading down there. And uh, it says, so Ananias went down, found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, brother Saul. No, brother. I mean, okay, fellow Christian, fellow believer, Saul. I mean, he hasn't had a, he hasn't had a word with the guy yet. I mean, and he's already calling him a fellow believer, brother. You know, I mean, he's so convinced this is God. He, he, you know, it's like, brother Saul. Uh, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, this Ananias guy, he's a character. He knows what this takes. He's like, okay, I know you had this big encounter with the Lord. Uh, Lord revealed that to me. But there's still something lacking, Paul, Saul. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's like, wow. I mean, okay, so that wasn't enough, Paul. What you experienced wasn't enough. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because Ananias knew that it's going to take more than just some intellectual understanding that Saul was good at. He had to be filled from the inside. Like he had to have this you know, conviction of the living God. And Ananias was like really awesome about this. And so he says, um, so he sent me to, uh, to you that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterwards, he ate some food and regained his strength. Uh, this is just such a loaded uh, section of, of, of Scripture here that it's hard to kind of just move on here. Just think of it from Ananias' standpoint. We don't hear a whole bunch about Ananias in the rest of Scripture. He's like this one little like moment of fame and claim in the Bible. Now, for those of you folks that have uh, like led a Bible study here at church, run women's uh, ministry, uh, you know, had the frustration of putting on a big spread and nobody shows up or one or two people show up. Uh, you, you know, you've prayed about it. You've, you've pressed into it. You've prepared. You've done everything you can. And your, your, your ministry just like has not a whole lot of uh, fruit. There's just like not a lot of people to show for it. I mean, you wouldn't put Ananias in the category of this awesome evangelist who led thousands of people to the Lord. And, you know, the, he was there when the Holy Spirit sh uh, sh showed up and 3,000 people like just said, yes, Jesus. No, one lonely, weird soul. He leads to the Lord. One. 
but look at the one. Friends, you, you know, you might be teaching children's ministry and there's like five kids, three kids in there. And you think, oh, it's just like, what a waste of time. I was expecting 15. And you don't know what God's going to do with one. You know, I, I like big church. I like the fact that we're willing to try and expand our church and, you know, get better facilities and all the rest. But it's not about like numbers. It's, a, it's about like who you are. And, you, you know, you guys are precious. And, and God is doing something awesome, even though we are a smallish church. I mean, this is really a, a privilege. And, 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 you know, God uses some people to do certain things and other people to do other things. But if you're leading in any capacity, don't like get disillusioned or despondent because you only have a few people. Uh, Saul was just one and God used him like really mightily. And Ananias after this, you know, just sort of fell off the map. But look at this other part of what the apostle later would be Paul uh, does. Okay. He has this encounter. He's busy praying and he's busy fasting. Now, he takes his good religious background, Jewish background, and he says, okay, I'm going to fast and pray until God does something. Then God does something, the scales fall off his eyes, and unlike you and me, we, he doesn't like rush over to the, the refrigerator and like, let's chow down because I've been fasting. No, no, the first thing he does is a very weird Christian thing. He says, please, can I get baptized? You know, like Jesus was baptized and Jesus' followers were being baptized. Can I get baptized? And then I'm going to break my fast. I mean, that's what it says here. Instantly, something like scales fell from Paul's eyes and he regained his sights. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterwards, he ate some food and regained his strength. I mean, this guy, you know, was somebody that really knew his stuff. And knew how to like connect with the, the Lord in his own tradition. And the Lord really honored that. And uh, yeah, yeah uh, God really used him. You know, one of the weird things that happens every now and then is people come up to me and say, you know, if so-and-so would only become a Christian, typically it would be like a significant politician or some you know, significant business leader. Man, if that guy would become a Christian great things would happen. And, you know, my response is always the same. Well, maybe, but it really isn't how great the person is. It's how great Jesus is. And Jesus will take anybody, whether it's intellectuals like Paul, murderers like Paul, whether it's like fishermen like Peter, you know, whether it's people like me that were introvert and dead shy. I mean, he'll, like, God, you know, it's not the person. It's like Jesus. It's and so, like, don't give me this stuff like if so-and-so would only convert, it would be so awesome. Well, maybe. Uh, God uses people that are uh, his followers to do awesome things through them. Uh, and he doesn't really need your smarts or your brains or, you know, your talent. Or he, God does A-OK without him. Now, here's, a, here's another uh, sort of difficult question here or, or, or thorn which I really need to address. And this is this idea that God uh, predestined, using a biblical term, this is the predestined would be this idea that, you know, God is calling somebody, he's got their number, he's got a vision for them, he's got a plan for them, and he's predestined uh, what they're going to do. This is a great scripture, 
you know, uh, to make a case for predestined. But uh, the point that I want to um, uh, amplify here a little bit is this idea that, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. Okay. Uh, here's the point I want to make. Uh, very often, uh, we try and talk to our friends that aren't believers, and we say to them, listen, if you accept Christ, your life is going to be so easy. In other words, uh, you know, you've got financial problems, accept Jesus, and uh, you're just going to be loaded with cash. Or, uh, you know, you've got physical problems, you just accept Jesus, and uh, he'll take care of all your infirmities. Uh, or you've got relational problems, just accept Jesus, your marriage will be awesome, your kids will be perfect. I mean, just, it's just going to be great. And then, you know, people accept Jesus, and then uh, they find like life isn't so great, like it's full of hardships. And it's like, okay, I, I tried Jesus, I tried church, I've done all that foolishness, you know, I, I need something else, and, 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 and people move on. Uh, it's like such a, a foreign concept. And as I was saying, many of you have stepped up into leadership, and if you're going to lead in this church, uh, because I'm not like really such an awesome leader, uh, let me guarantee you what's going to happen. Uh, what's going to happen is you're going to say, geez, Rob, you, you don't give me any strokes. You don't really pay me enough. You never really congratulate me. We never really get together and have dinner together. We hardly ever sit and pray. And, I, you know, I'm just like uh, thinking about you and covering you in prayer and meditating on how I can make your life better and and and. And eventually you say, you know, it's quite, actually quite difficult being in ministry. Uh, people grumble and they, they're grumpy and they don't show up. And, and I was planning for 10 people to come and they didn't even give me the courtesy of saying they're not coming. And I lined up babysitting and, and uh, you know, for three weeks and I paid for the sitter and nobody brought their kids. And then they did and then they complained because it wasn't a good enough sitter. And, and you know, I'm just, Rob, I just quit. I'm just done with the ministry. I'm just done with children's ministry. You know, there's parents. I, I signed up for children's ministry. I thought the parents were going to come in and just say, thank you so much for investing in my kids. Thank you for giving them biblical truth. Thank you for just loving on them. But my reality was they just complain and they say, you know, this. And my kid's like too quiet or my kid's too noisy and you should be doing that. Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, eventually like, I just give up. I just quit. Now, look, unless, unless, unless you have had some conviction from Jesus, you won't last in ministry because I'm not good enough to prop you up. Uh, Jesus is good enough to sustain you. And when you finish doing what you're doing and you say, Jesus, that was really hard and these people are really critical, but I'm doing it because you want me to do it and I'm pleasing you and your praise is enough. Uh, I mean, that's, that's reality, folks. And it's not just in leadership. It's becoming a Christian. Uh, there's something, uh, on the one hand, Jesus is saying, this is the most awesome life. If you read John 10.10, 10, uh, rich and rewarding. But on the other hand, it's just like Paul. It's going to be suffering, and it's going to be hardship, and it's going to be in some ways miserable. But overall, it's going to be awesome. Now, if you have a balanced view of that, of who Jesus is, and how awesome he's going to make your life, and then you can deal with the pain and the suffering. I mean, it's sort of like this. It's sort of like saying, you know, I don't want any kids. I've heard about the pain in childbearing, and that's just like awful. I don't want to, have, you know, I'm not a female, but, you know, for you females, I don't want to have to go through all that pain. And then I don't want to have to, you know, like toddlers. Oh, my gosh, you don't get any sleep at night, and it's just like really exhausting. And, and then, oh, my gosh, these kids that grow out of their clothes, they're eight, they're nine every year. They need new shoes. It costs me so much money, and it costs you even more, by the way, when they become teenagers. And by the way, it costs you even more when they go to college. So that never goes away. And then you say, you know, I don't want kids. I mean, kids are just like, they cost me too much money. No, that's ridiculous. 
You'd say, I love having kids. Yes, they cost me a lot of money. Yes, I lost sleep. Yes, there's teenagers that were really difficult to deal with. Yes, yes, yes to all that, but I'm still really glad I had kids. I mean, that's a Christian life, right? It's awesome when Jesus is in our lives. It does not mean that everything's just going to be easy and perfect and, and, and whatever. So, folks, I just want to finish it this way. If you want to have a turning point, you have an encounter with Christ, you need to encounter Jesus personally, and you also need to uh, somehow or other have Christians, Jesus people in your life. Now, we have a sign-up here in the lobby of uh, really just as like a record for us as a small church, the number of small groups, life groups, Bible studies, classes that you can be part of. Find one that you want to be part of. Speak to the leader and get all the details and be part of that and allow that to be you know, your commitment this semester as you allow Jesus to use others to speak into your life. Uh, it'll transform you. It'll enrich you. It'll be uh, good for you. Lord, uh, let me just finish in a prayer. Lord, I just thank you that uh, you're the God of 180s. You can, like, turn us around. Uh, you can change our circumstances. Lord, when we live with you, we always have the hope that uh, you can be involved and are involved in our lives. And Lord, the longer we walk with you, the more experiences we have had where you've intersected our lives and you've changed us, you've changed circumstances. And it's been for the better. It's been for your will. So Lord, uh, I just invite uh, your presence into your people's lives. Lord, I just pray that you'd lead them to the right group with the right leaders. And Lord, I just pray for everybody leading a group that's currently leading a group and those that have led groups in the past, Lord, that you would just bless them. Lord, and that you would give them the, you know, the encouragement that they need. So, Lord, I, I just lift up this wonderful church with these wonderful people to you. And we look forward to this season of what it is that you're doing in each one of our lives. Uh, in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, so when we have the worship team come on up, uh, Kevin, come up, see what Lord mentioned this morning in, in prayer. And when you finish Saturday, you know, go out, find a table, sign up. And if you've signed up, we don't have a lot of space in that lobby, so uh, I don't know how we're all going to fit in there. But, uh, you know, if you all sort it out, get out. I mean, I, I don't want to say it in a bad way, just like in a loving way. Well, Father, I, I just pray that this would be a turning point uh, for someone this morning. Um, this morning in prayer, there, there was a sense that there might be someone here this morning um, with a secret hurt, secret or hidden hurt. Uh, maybe it's some way that you've um, sinned against yourself or someone else hurt them in some way. Maybe someone's um, sinned against you and hurt you in some way. Uh, whatever it is, however shameful or difficult it might feel to uh, say it out, uh, I just want to encourage you that the Lord already knows. He, he already knows uh, about that hurt. And uh, in Isaiah 63, uh, verse 9, it talks about, in our suffering, God suffers. And he came and personally rescued us. Um, so I just want to encourage you, if, if that's you, uh, to find somebody to share that with and um, and pray with you. We'll have a ministry team up front. Uh, you can come up for, for a prayer. We'd love to pray with you for that um, or, or for anything else. And thank you.
why don't you stand and let's uh, close out with some worship. I want to come forward for prayer. Come forward now or when we finish.